Hallelujah. Now live. I expect a few people will be looking in today. A few folk missing from here. I'm sure they'll be watching online. Wonderful to be back. I'm, I'm so looking forward to preaching without an interpreter. Not that, you know, not that it wasn't, not that it's not great preaching over there, but, you know, you say something and you're just ready to go and you're on the flow and oh, 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 oh. you've got to stop and Sundar or Rayo's got to do their Telugu. So, yeah, it's um, wonderful to be back. Uh, only preaching in English. Uh, it's, it's quite difficult, isn't it? It's diff- kind of English. It's difficult, though, isn't it? Stop starting it. You kind of lose your flow sometimes. But um, anyway, really looking forward to getting back into the flow again this morning. So let us pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you that we're in this place, that we are back meeting together once again, face to face. And thank you for those joining us online too. I thank you that it's now time to gather around your word, Father. That word that was literally breathed from your mouth. Yes, written by men, but breathed, inspired by you. So we thank you that these words are your direct communication to us this morning. We thank you for them. We thank you for these seeds that we're about to plant in our hearts. Speak our understanding for these seeds, that these seeds are not stolen. Understanding so that the seeds will germinate and grow and produce fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. So I am thinking about India again this morning. Um, I've expanded on a teaching that I gave on Hogmanay. You think folk go daft on Hogmanay in Scotland. You ought to be in India. And not a drop of alcohol passes their lips. But boy, do they celebrate the coming of the new year, don't they? It's... Um, yeah, I was, I was there a couple of times I looked trying and I noticed Grant that the music probably a little bit man, you would not survive in India. Nunzi had Nunzi had earplugs in. And we're sitting at the front as far away from the speakers as possible. But um anyway, they're loud, they they love it. Uh, so I, I preached this message at Hogmanay. Um over in Karamuru. And I was I taught a series when I was over there. Surprise, surprise, but I taught a series about individual encounters with Jesus. Because I wanted to I wanted to uh, put into them that our faith is about a relationship with Jesus. And it's all about individual encounters with Jesus. And it's how we relate to Jesus and how he relates to us. And how our faith is all about relationship. I mean, I never went down the road of it's not religion and relationship like I'm doing with John, but just all about uh, relationships. And I and this one was just uh, uh, in one of many sermons, but it really spoke to me when I was in India. It's one of my favorite encounters. It's one I've taught on again and again and again. But this time I saw something new that really spoke to me and really blessed me. So I wanted to expand it and teach it as a one-off today. And and when we were there chatting with Sundar, Sundar likes his sermon titles. 
He said, I remember you preached this pastor and the title was. And I have this, I have this sermon and the title is, and I, my favourite sermon title is this. So I thought, I'll give, it, <clears throat> I'll give it a title just for Sundar. But this sermon is called Nobody, Somebody, Everybody. Nobody, Somebody, Everybody. So turn with me to John 4. John 4 and verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Very familiar account. We probably think we know everything about this. Taught on it many times, but that's no excuse not to teach it again. Nunzi mentioned to the guys at Karamuru that she was going to teach on the word and the power of the word. Uh, and she'd told them, I've done that before. I've taught on this before, but it's no reason not to teach it again. And, and she asked them, if you've got a favorite meal, do you stop eating it because it's your favorite? You know, or do you eat it again and again? I mean, many of us like to eat our favorite things quite regularly. Yeah? I love Nunzi's roast dinners. Especially roast lamb, but then then pork, roast chicken. But we're going to have roast pork and roast tatties today. Now, when we were talking about it, well, what should we have for dinner? Nancy said, "You have roast pork." I was like, you know, I didn't think. You know what? I've had that so many times before. It's one of my favorites. Um, you know, darling, we've just had it so many times before. Look, why don't you do a butternut squash stew or something? You know, you know, in, instead. What did I say? No, give me the roast dinner and give it to me next week and give it to me next week and give it to me next week. Week after week after week. And it's the same with the word of God. You know, we can eat, digest, devour. What was that passage that you got a few years ago about digesting the word? I find your word and I did eat it. Yeah, Jeremiah, see, we'll say, I, I found that roast tatties and I did eat it. And again and again and again. Well, we can do that with a word. I found your word and I did eat it. Digest it. Same thing over and over, but it's still good for us. I could listen to teachings on righteousness and forgiveness until the cows come home and we turn them into steak. No, I could, I, I could teach. I could teach. I could listen to teachings on, especially on righteousness, again and again and again. 
and I think I've got a good handle on righteousness, but I want to know more and more about it, even though it's familiar. So this will be very familiar to you, and I'll skip over a few bits that I know you all know, but there's, there's some new bits in there. Anyway, John 4, 3, 4. John 4, 3 and 4. He left Judea and departed into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, whoever wrote this didn't know their geography. Didn't know their geography. He was in Galilee. He was in Judea. He was in Jerusalem, actually. Jerusalem, you watching? Jerusalem, Galilee, Samaria. Sorry? Jerusalem, Galilee, Samaria. That forms a triangle, not a straight line. We know the geography of the Holy Lands. We know the most direct route Jesus could have taken or could have taken was not the way he went. And I noticed this time, for the first time, I noticed it says he was weary. He was tired. Yet he still went out of his way. It's like me being really tired and wanting to cycle home from Arvis, from Elgin to Arvis, and go via Barney and Dallas and Forest. Stupid. Unless I had somebody vitally important to meet in Dallas. Somebody whose life I could change in Dallas. I wouldn't need to go that way. He was in Jerusalem, going to Galilee. The place called Sychar and Samaria was out of his roots. And it was a long, tiring detour. I mentioned to the guys in India, they didn't have tuk-tuks back then. Jesus was walking. And it was hot and tiring and dusty. But the word says he must needs go through Samaria. No, he didn't. If we just think about the geography. And also think about the social, cultural context. He shouldn't have gone there either. We know that. He was Jewish. He shouldn't have been anywhere near Samaria. Unclean. That's a long way out of his roots. He shouldn't have been anywhere near that place. But we know from previous teachers he had to go there, hadn't he? Not because it was the road. Because of the person. He had to go there to meet that woman. Change our life. Give her life meaning. Have a relationship with her. And this, I think this is my favourite encounter. It's such a beautiful, beautiful encounter. And for me, when I was meditating on it before I gave the sermon, it shows me Jesus is most compassionate, is most caring, considerate, concerned for the individual. All that was on his mind was that one woman. And, and something that really spoke to me, as well as that when I was preparing in India, is, is the fact that, now I must have seen this before, I must have known it, I must have realised it, but I can't remember thinking about this. I, or for whatever reason, it's not been as significant as it was this time. 
It says he came to the well. He was tired. He sat down. And then the woman came for water. And I remember sitting at the table when I was preparing this message and thinking, oh, wow. What was he doing? He was waiting for her. Now that might, we might be sitting there and saying, a whoop de do. But I remember thinking at the time, well, it made me cry. Sitting there thinking, he sat there waiting for her. I don't know how long he waited. But the, the, the chronology is there. He came to the well. He was tired. He sat down. Then she came. Jesus Christ sitting, waiting. Not one nobody. That one individual. She came out in the middle of the day. We know that. She came out to avoid seeing the other women. You know, to avoid the looks. Avoid the snide remarks. Avoid the little nudges of all the other women. See, she was living a life of sin. A life of shame. And she knew that. Or she'd have been out there at the break of day with the rest and brazen as whatever. She would have been living a life completely ashamed of what she was doing. But that's what she was having to do to exist. That's all she knew. She didn't want to encounter the other women. She did not come for the water in the cool of the day at the start of the day when all the other women would have came. Now she came in the heat of the middle of the day when she would have been alone. Was it at the sixth hour? Six hours after daybreak. Middle of the day. Stupid time to go and get water. Stupid time to be out in the sun in India, I tell you. The amount of times we were out and I thought of that phrase, only mad dogs and Scotsmen <laughs> go out in the midday sun. Sixth hour, this woman comes out. Now, we've, we've spoken about it so many times. Not only was she living in sin with a man that was not her husband, she was committing the two other cardinal sins of the time. She was a woman and she was a Samaritan. I mean, yeah, absolutely terrible. She had nothing going for her in society. She was an absolute nothing. Lowest of the low. An absolute nobody. At least in the eyes of the world. A nobody in the eyes of the world. Worthless, useless. Needing to be saved from that lifestyle. Needing to be changed. Needing to be lifted out of that life of sin. So she comes to the well to avoid the women and Jesus is sitting there alone. And that was on purpose. This is what I mean about Jesus being really considerate and concerned about the individual. He was there on his own. He'd send the disciples in to get the shopping. Okay, they were all blokes. Maybe they need to all go and help each other. To try, and, to try and find everything. I don't know. But didn't need, didn't need all his entourage to go shopping. But no, he needed to be there on his own. And I, I love this part of the account too. See, Jesus knew her. Knew her intimately. 
but he created her. But in your situation, you know, did he know she wouldn't have come up to the well if there was a group of blokes there? You know, did did Jesus know she would risk going to get water if it was just one person? Was Jesus given off this aura of trust and decency? I don't know. But I, but I, I just find that so wonderful. Jesus cared for her. And I believe he set up that meeting accordingly for her. He was there waiting for her. He knew when she was going to come. And he was on his own. He set that up. I just think it's wonderful. Sorting out the little detail to make sure she met him. Sorting out the little details to make sure she didn't not come. Setting out the details to give him the opportunity to speak to her, the opportunity for her to listen, the opportunity for her to trust, to believe, and choose to live for him. The opportunity to change her life. Jesus set that up. And, and I meditated upon that yesterday. I was sitting at my desk. Oh, it was a joy to be writing a sermon at my desk, I tell you. <laughs> it's wonderful. And I was, you know, I was sitting with my eyes shut and just picturing it. And it's really weird now. I don't know about you, but back in the past, when I used to picture Jesus, it was Robert Powell. Do you remember? Jesus of Nazareth in the late 70s or 80s. Well, now it's the guy out of the Chosen. Yes. What's his name? Yeah, him. And so it's weird the way, the way we picture things change, Polly. So Robert Powell is no longer Jesus. It's the guy I've chosen. And um, so I pictured Jesus sitting at the well, just sitting there waiting. And I saw, I saw the lady coming out with her big jar on her head and all that. Slowing down slightly when she saw Jesus, but then carrying on. Because he made it safe, made it comfortable for her, I think. And then they have this one-to-one. You read it yourself, go into it. It's a wonderful discussion, almost another whole chapter. Uh, one-to-one, when we see him knowing everything about her, telling her about herself telling her about himself and the woman believing upon him and going to town as an evangelist. Now, that's a big summary. But what an encounter that must have been. An encounter set up by Jesus Christ. Life-changing for her. She came out of that encounter a changed woman. A new woman. A confident evangelist having met with Jesus Christ. John 4, 28 says, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is, the, is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. And verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him, for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all I ever did. Went from hiding from the women to telling the men about Jesus. 
went from hiding in sin and shame like that to speaking out the truth in public about Jesus Christ. What a change, amen? Because of that encounter with Jesus Christ, that nobody, that nobody who Jesus treated like a somebody, someone of significance and importance. And you might say, well, Vic, how can you say that that woman was someone of significance and importance? Because the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, creator of the universe, God Almighty, sat at the well waiting for her. Just her. We know Jesus was God, is God, always will be God. Okay, God in the flesh. We know he was the creator. Can you imagine the creator of the universe? You know, sitting in the house waiting for you when you get home? How special would that make you feel? Jesus taking time out of his schedule to meet her. And that's the way the world would have said it, her. A nobody, but this was a somebody for Jesus Christ, went on a long, tiring journey out of his way, put himself out to sit in that place and wait to meet her. You know, people... I was thinking about this. People get excited when they get an audience with the Pope or the President or the Prime Minister or somebody allegedly of that kind of importance. She got an audience with the living God. She had an audience with God Almighty. She must be so important. She must be a somebody. You see, Jesus saw her potential. Not her current performance. He saw her potential. He saw what she was made for. He saw the plan and purpose that he had made for her before she was formed in the womb. And that made her important. That made her someone special and worthy and of significance. You know, he didn't go through Samaria for the good of his health. He went through Samaria for one reason and one reason only to meet with her, to form a relationship with her. God Almighty, the Word became flesh, plonked on the well, maybe drumming his fingers, I don't know, having a look around, enjoying the scenery, enjoying the rest, looking forward to the drink of water, waiting for her. It's It's astounding. God Almighty, who's upholding the universe at the same time, who's holding everything together, who always was, is, and forever will be, sitting on a wee wall waiting for her. It's phenomenal when you think about it. That makes her a somebody, someone very special. But you know what? In the other sense, in this, in another way, in a real sense, this woman is like everybody. No, we're all we're all born into sin. We're all lost, born into being lost because of the because of the fall. But Jesus wants to save everyone. Jesus wants to save us all. Jesus wants a personal relationship with every single person on earth, doesn't he? Two Peter three nine tells us that.
2 Peter 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but as long suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants every man to be saved. And that's only achieved through Jesus Christ. Every person needs an individual relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the only way to salvation, the only way to forgiveness from sin, the only way to righteousness. Everybody needs Jesus. And Jesus made the provision for all to be saved. See, there was a problem, a sin. But in 1 John 2 verse 2 says, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That verse is written to Christians. But he says he paid for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's the cosmos and everybody in it. Forgiveness has flowed. It, it, it's, forgiveness has been provided for all mankind. So all can come to repentance. All can be saved and be made righteous. The woman at the well needed Jesus. She needed to have that meeting with Jesus. She received Jesus. She became an evangelist, going into town, telling people all about him, encouraging them to come and meet him too. See, Jesus had a plan and purpose for her life, a good plan and a purpose. And the same is true for all mankind. You're sitting there today. You are part of mankind. You're part of the cosmos. The plan and purpose for Harry's got a plan and purpose for you. Everybody can be saved. See, everybody has been made aware of Jesus. Everyone has the same opportunity for salvation and change. And as I was thinking about this, that's when I realized I was preparing this sermon in India. This woman is a picture of us. This woman is a picture of every single one of us. We're a nobody, a somebody, and everybody. We are this woman. Nobody. You know, I think we've all felt like that at one time or another. Feeling worthless, insignificant. Just, just one person in this world of however many billions. What can we do? What can I do? What can we amount to? You know, some of us have had this horrendous thought, what's the point of being here? Why? Not making our way in the world, just existing. But we're also somebody who's come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's met with us. He does this in a number of ways, of course. And we've each had a unique, a unique way of coming to the Lord through the witness and testimony of others. That's Jesus speaking through them, through the word of God, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, through his creation. The, words, you know, the word says we can't look at his creation and not see that there's a creator. Through signs and wonders, there's loads of different ways. But Jesus, in however way he did for you, made himself known to you. Or you wouldn't be sitting here. Enduring me week after week. You know, we wouldn't be here. Jesus has made himself known to us. And praise God, we made the decision to follow him as Lord and Savior. But we're also everybody. All born with a sin nature all living in sin, before meeting Jesus, before coming to Jesus, all lost in sin. Knowing in our hearts we're not living correctly, not living appropriately. See, sin is sin. It's not graded. 
before we were saved, we were the woman at the well. Oh, I hadn't lived before men. I hadn't lived before women, you know, and not married and blah, blah, blah. I wasn't as bad. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin. Prior to being saved, we're all the woman at the well. Every single one of us. Needn't to be saved. Needn't be lifted out of that mire. And the only way for that to happen is through Jesus, to meet Jesus, to have a personal encounter with Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father but through him. That's what he said. Not me. John 14, 6. Close to that, anyway. And, but Jesus made himself known to us in whatever way he did to get through to us. And amen, looking around, we've responded to him, we trusted him, we believed in him, and we're here. You are the woman at the well. Every single one of you, you're the woman at the well. A nobody, a somebody, and everybody. You may have thought you were small and insignificant, not of value, not of worth. But you were someone who Jesus made himself aware to. He treated you like a somebody. He treated you like someone worthy and important. And that is true. Psalm 139 tells us that. Verse 1 and 2. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. You are so important and so significant to God. He knows everything about you. He wants to know everything about you. Your picture's next to mine on his mantelpiece. Hallelujah. 13, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are thy works. I am marvellous. Thank you. And so are you. They're all marvellous. And that my soul knoweth right well. I wish everybody knew that right well, that they're marvellous. See, he created you. You're the best thing about his creation. He loves you and knows all about you. Of course you're a somebody. Of course you're significant. He made you. You are wonderful. And he wants a personal relationship with you. And yes, you are an everybody. Born a sinner. Born into sinful nature. You needed Jesus. He came to you. And now you're in a relationship with him. We are just like the woman at the well. Just like the woman at the well. Nobody in the eyes of the world. Somebody important in the eyes of the Lord and everybody in need of Jesus. Now, here's the challenge. We haven't preached about much. Now your job is to be like the woman at the well and go and tell everybody. Amen. <laughs>